How are you all doing today? Are you okay? Because I want to leave that would be great. It's a beautiful spring morning. Fantastic. Uh, last week, uh, Pastor George started a series with us on liberty. And liberty is something that we really believe God's put on our hearts as a church. And George asked me this morning just to continue that theme of liberty. And I want to just unpack um, a theme for us this morning called freedom in worship. Freedom in worship. Uh, we're going to go through a lot of scriptures, going to be a lot of theology to unpack this morning. So if you want to take notes, take notes. But also, we are now podcasting our sermons. So you can listen to us again and again and again. It's great for the go to sleep. If you can't sleep, just put us on and you'll be off in a minute. Okay, so if you want to go to the church website, which is Rodden Pentecostal Church, and go on to the download section, and you can click on the sermons, listen to this sermon over and over again. That'd be great. Woohoo! So we're going to look at some scriptures this morning. When we think about the term freedom and worship, one scripture springs to mind. And you probably there already, but if you want to turn in 2 Samuel chapter 6, verses 12 22, we're going to look at the story of David before the Lord and his wife Michael, and just unpack what God is saying to us, what God can say to us this morning about the situation. So I'm reading for the New International Version. Verse 12 of 2 Samuel chapter 6 says this Now King David was told The Lord has blessed the household of Obed-Edom And everything he has because of the ark of God So David went to bring up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom To the city of David with great rejoicing When those who were carrying the ark of the Lord had taken six steps He sacrificed a bull and a fatted calf. Wearing white linen ephod, David was dancing before the Lord with all his might. While he and all of Israel were bringing up the ark with shouts and the sound of trumpets. Verse 16. As the ark of the Lord was entering the city of David, Michael, daughter of Saul, watched from the window. And when she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she despised him in her heart. They brought the ark of the Lord and set it in its place inside the tent that David had pitched for it. And David sacrificed burnt offerings and fellowship offerings before the Lord. And after he had finished sacrificing the burnt offerings and the fellowship offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord Almighty. He gave a loaf of bread and a cake of dates and a cake of raisins to each person in the whole crowd of the Israelites, both men and women, and all the people went to their homes. When David returned home, however, to bless his household, Michael, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet him and said, How the king of Israel has distinguished himself today! going around half naked in full view of the slave girls and of his servants as any vulgar fellow would. David said to Michael, It was before the Lord who chose me rather than your father or anyone from his house when he appointed me as ruler over the house of the Lord's people Israel. 
I will celebrate before the Lord. And I will become even more undignified than this. And I will be humiliated in my own eyes. But by these slave girls you spoke of, I will be held in great honour. Lord, just bless your word to us, we pray today. Speak to our hearts with revelation about our hearts, Lord God, and where we stand before you, in Jesus' name. A few years ago, me and Diane went to Greece on holiday. And I've always wanted to see dolphins. Next slide, please. And we went out on this boat to see these dolphins. And the captain announced over the tannoy, would the children please come to the front of the boat? All the kids went to the front of the boat. And I thought, there's dolphins around. So, I pushed through all the kids, slapped them to the side, to get to the front. And as I got to the front, this dolphin swam alongside the boat. It turned its head towards me and smiled at me. And then, right in front of the boat, these dolphins started to dance and to play. And I was so moved by this wonderful display of worship by dolphins. I just, tears started to form in my eyes. I started to cry because I was just overwhelmed by this wonderful display of dolphins. Who thinks I'm sad? Who thinks I'm really quite a nice guy? So, and I just thought to myself, these dolphins haven't been trained, not doing it for some fish, not doing it for applause, not doing it for an audience, they're doing it because they just love to be who they are. They just played before us for about half an hour, just jumping and splashing and swimming around the boat, just because they loved to do it. And it reminded me of scripture in Psalm 104 verse 26, where it says, God made the Leviathan which is a sea mammal, to play. God formed the Leviathan, the sea mammal, to play in the waters. And that word is quite amazing, because the word play is spoken of in, his, in Zechariah chapter 8 and verse 5, where it says that the children played in the streets. See, children play, and they're happy to play in the streets, because... They're not consumed by the worries and the cares and the concerns of adult life. They don't care about what people think or what people say. They just love to play. But here's the point. In 2 Samuel chapter 6 verse 21, the NIV says, David said, I will celebrate before the Lord. But the, the good old King James Version picks up that same Hebrew word and says, I will play before the Lord. It's the same word in all three scriptures. Dolphins play, children play, and David played before the Lord. He was free from inhibitions. He was free from the opinions of men. He just loved to be in God's presence. David was a worshipper. He was born a worshipper. He sang wherever he had the opportunity to sing. And that worship just came out of him. In chapter 6 and verse 5, it says, All of Israel played before the Lord. And one translator says, They made merry before the Lord. Just ca capture the excitement and the, the joyful abandonment of these people as they worship before God. Because the Ark of the Covenant had come into Jerusalem. They were excited, they were bouncing, they were jumping, they were whirling with excitement because of the presence of God. The word can be unpacked to mean this. It means to joke. 
to jest, to laugh repeatedly, to make merry and to play. And includes music, dance, singing, playing. And it conveys the idea of unrestrained celebrations of worship. That's the heart of God for worshippers. That we are unrestrained, we are free from limitations, we're just overwhelmed by the presence of God. It was extravagant worship. See, our God deserves extravagant worship. He gave everything for us and we come into church and we clap our hands a little bit and maybe we just hop from one foot to the other occasionally. Pentecostal two-step. But the thing is, God demands not just our songs, not just our applause. He demands our all. Love, so amazing, so divine, demands my life, my soul, my all. A man called Stephen Brown said this, If there's no laughter, Jesus has gone somewhere else. If there's no joy and freedom, it's not a church. If there's no celebration, then there's no real worship. Next slide, please. Freedom in worship. It says in 2 Samuel 6.16, As the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michael, the daughter of Saul, looked out the window and saw King David leaping and dancing. Leaping and dancing. Now, it was kind of exuberant. Now, I took, me and John took Manny to his first soccer game last week, week before last. Football for us who initiated. And it was great because he, he got a chicken and mushroom pie, he got a cup of coffee. And wonder of wonders, my team, Notts County, scored a goal. It's a rare event, but there was untold scenes of celebration. There was high-fiving and hugging and cheering and dancing and applauding. It was awesome. True, it was. <laughs> and this celebration just took over the whole of the crowd. And that was over a man kicking a little ball into a net. Wow. But how much more should we celebrate with freedom and abundance of a God who gave us everything? You know, there's more excitement as a football ground than there is sometimes at church. But God wants to inspire our hearts that when we hear his name, something ignites in our hearts. There's a passion that emerges that overtakes us and we are consumed by his presence. See, the word enthusiasm, that we use quite a lot, comes from two old Greek words. One is en, which means in. One is theos, which means God. When God dwells in us, we are enthusiastic. When you're filled with God, you become enthusiastic. And that's the kind of passion that me and you are meant to have. David's enthusiasm was contagious. He just loved to worship God. But there are four things this morning I want to just touch on that can, hit, can inhibit our praise. There's four things that we all go through as human beings that will restrict us and hold us in and not allow us to express our gratitude and our love to God as much as we should. Number one, it's the opinions of men. You don't want to raise your hands on a Sunday morning. You don't want to dance one foot to the other because you're afraid of what 
the pastor may say, or your wife or husband may say. You may be fearful of what humans may say about you, and therefore you, you hold yourself in, scared of what others may think. Some of us are self-conscious. We're a bit, we feel awkward in ourselves, we feel awkward in our own skin, and we don't want to do anything too expressive because we just don't feel comfortable with that. Also, there may be cultural expectations, like in this culture, you just do not do that sort of thing. Well, I come from a culture where you don't raise your hands, you don't show any kind of emotion, it's all controlled and contained. But God wants to break through these limitations. But sometimes we know our own hearts and we feel guilty. We feel a sense of hypocrisy. Now, how can I raise my hands in worship when I've argued with my wife last night? Or how can I worship God when I've got these thoughts going through my head sometimes? Or how can I worship God when I, I know that I make mistakes and fail? The great news is, this morning, even though we, we're guilty, even though we fail many times, our acceptance before God is not based on our goodness. It's based on His grace. And that in itself will release worship in our hearts. Come on. I mean, how can we not worship God? How can we not speak out His praise? The Bible says that if we keep quiet, the stones themselves will speak out His praise. Are you still with me? Fantastic. See, Moses comes up to Pharaoh in Exodus 5, verse 1, and says this, Let my people go. He stammered. But in Exodus 5, verse 1, it says, Let my people go. They may go into the desert and hold a feast. The feast, the word in Hebrew for feast is hagag. It means to celebrate, to party. The thing is, we need to learn how to party. Not as the world parties, but as Christians party. Now, the world parties, it's all about themselves, all about pleasure, enjoyment for themselves, all about alcohol and drugs, but Jesus wants us to learn how to celebrate life in all its fullness, to go and hold a feast, to dance and to party. See, and the thing is, we get so bound up by what men think of us, what people say about us, we're so self-conscious, we don't allow the river that's within us to flow out. God wants to free us today to become people who are passionate praisers. Next slide, please. Passionate praise. David danced before the Lord with all his might. It consumed him. Praise wasn't just a added extra. It was his life message. It was his life beat. It was a heartbeat. It was everything about him. You see, he leapt for joy. He was transported by the events that surround him. The Ark of the Covenant, the principal mighty God, had come and stood in the middle of Jerusalem. It wasn't a set dance that he could rehearse. It wasn't line dancing. Don't tell my heart. It wasn't line dancing. It wasn't a... Sorry, that was really bizarre. (laughs) It wasn't practicing the dance that he rehearsed as a child. It was a spontaneous outbursting of expressive praise. In other words, the fire of God was burning so passionate in him, he could not contain it. It exploded from within him. And there's sometimes when God comes by his presence and by his spirit and stands amongst the church, that the church cannot be silent. It cannot remain sat in its chairs. There's an expression that bursts out 
It's the overflow of a heart that is blessed. It's time to allow God to break us out of the boxes. See, passion is proved genuine when we put Christ's honour and his name before our own personal interests and safety. David didn't care what people thought about him, didn't care what people said about him, he was consumed with a passion for Christ. It was William Tyndale, the great translator of scriptures, who said that every ploughboy in England should have a copy of the Bible in his hand, who said these words, you get on fire for God, and men will come and see you burn. Quite literally in his case. Worship is more than just the songs we sing. It's a heart that is dedicated to Jesus. It's a will that is surrendered to Christ. It's, and it's a life that's given over completely to Jesus. Archbishop Temple, William Temple, great writer and Anglican scholar, said this To worship is to quicken the conscience by the holiness of God, to feed the mind with the truth of God, and to purge the imagination by the beauty of God to open the heart to the love of God and to devote the will of man to the purpose of God we're called to be extravagant worshippers this morning to honour him not just with our words but with our lives so three things I want to touch on this morning number one freedom of worship number two authenticity of worship see the thing is authenticity of worship isn't about how loud you sing it's about what's going on inside your heart. When I was a young Christian in the Salvation Army in Grantham, there was a man there, his name was Beaver Selby. He was a quiet and reserved man. He never danced or clapped or raised his hands in the air. But when he spoke about Jesus, you saw a twinkle in his eye. A godly man who knew how to worship, but wasn't bound by performance or image or what he should do. He was his own man. It's easy to judge a person by how they worship or how they don't worship. If that person hasn't got their hands in the air, then obviously they're not spirit-filled. Is a fallacy. I have the privilege of going round to different churches to speak in the borough. I went to Father's house a few months ago and it was wild. <laughs> it was loud. It was extravagant. It was over the top. The presence of God was so real. I spoke at Herringthorpe United Reformed Church last two weeks ago. Lovely church. There's no clapping. There's no hand-waving. We sang the same chorus through twice. That was a great breakthrough. But the Spirit of God was still present there. And if we judge men and women by their outward appearance, we miss everything. Because God does not look at the outward appearance. He looks at the heart and sees what's going on inside us. See, neither shouting nor solemnity are true indicators of true worship. It's the inner heart of man that speaks. As Paul says in 2 Corinthians 11 verse 3, a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. I don't care whether you sing or dance or shout or cry or fall to your knees. The only thing God cares about is what's going on inside your heart. Are you a worshipper? When was the last time you were so caught up with the presence of God you just could hardly breathe? See, authenticity 
is vital. This world needs to see authentic Christians and authentic worshippers. I have a stick of rock here. It's seaside rock. Who wants it? <laughs> Spread back for your teeth. But it is from Sidmouth. Because it says on the side there, Sidmouth. It also says on the end, Sidmouth Rock. It also says here, Sidmouth Rock. So I'm convinced this is Sidmouth Rock. But the only way to really know is to step it in half. And see if the word Sidmouth appears right in the centre of the rock. So it's easy to have a label on the outside that says, I'm a worshipper, I'm a Christian. But not until you break someone in half. Not literally, of course. But you see what's inside them. No matter where I break this rock, the same words appear all the way through the rock. So if you're a worshipper, it won't just be on Sunday morning, it'll be on Monday morning. It won't just be when you're with the pastor, it'll be when you're with your wife. It won't just be with your kids, it'll be with those are colleagues who you hang around with. Worship has to be part of our human DNA as Christians. That's to infect and affect every area of our lives. You see, it's not just about the songs we sing. It's about a heart that is fully given over to God. Irenaeus, the early church historian in the second century, said this, The glory of God is a man fully alive. What is authenticity? It means to have an undisputed credibility, to be uncompromisingly trustworthy, and to be unquestionably genuine. Are you the real deal? Or is your label just one you wear on a Sunday? Or is it something that is written through your DNA? See, God is quite strong about people that sing but have no heart connection. Mark started off this morning's service with that picture of the crowds who one day were waving palm branches and the next day they were saying, crucify him, crucify him. It says in Amos chapter 5, God says, I hate, I despise your religious feasts. I will not accept them. Though you bring choice offerings to me, I will have no regard for them. Away with the noise of your songs. I will not listen to your music of your harps. Let justice roll down from heaven. Let righteousness spring forth like a never-failing stream. See, our worship isn't about the songs we sing. It's about the life and the love that we communicate to a lost and broken world as well. There's a wonderful passage in Isaiah 58. It says this, On the day of your fasting, you do as you please. You exploit all your workers. Your fasting ends in quarrel and in strife and in striking each other with wicked fists. You cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. Is this not the kind of fast that I have chosen, declares the Lord? Only for a day for a man to humble himself. Is it not only for bowing one's head like a reed or for lying in sackcloth and ashes? Is that what you call a fast? This is the kind of fast that I have chosen to tell the Lord. To loose the chains of injustice. To untie the yoke, the cords of the yoke. To set the oppressed free and to break every yoke. Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide shelter for the poor wanderer? 
when you see them naked to clothe him and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood, then, if you do these things, your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be seen and be your rear guard. Then you will call on the Lord and he will answer. You will cry for help and he will say, Here I am. If you do away with the yoke of oppression and the pointing finger and the malicious talk, and if you spend yourself on behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like the noonday. This is worship. To reflect the heart of Christ in our songs, in our life, in our prayers, in our actions, in our deeds. To be men and women who are ablaze with Jesus. It's easy just to look at the outward form. It's easy to look around and see people dancing at the front of church or singing, raising their hands and thinking, I don't know if that's genuine enough. And next slide please. We often judge people by what they do. But if you don't know my pain, you'll never understand my praise. Jesus says, those who've been forgiven much will love much. And sometimes we see young Christians who are just coming out of darkness into light and they're loud and they're expressive and they're living under the euphoria of being a Christian. But we can't judge people until we know the journey of their soul. You see, Michael, David's wife, looked through the window and saw her husband, the king of Israel, dancing with all his might, leaping and whirling around in circles, and she despised him in her heart. Sometimes we look on the outward, and we miss what God's doing on the inward. See, Michael was a woman who had so much potential in God. Her name means, who is like God? It wasn't a statement, she wasn't like God, it was a question in the Hebrew. Who is like God? It was a question that was birthed out of a worship and a wonder of who can be like God. She had potential, she loved David, she almost, she risked her life to help David escaped from the grips of her father. But distance came upon their hearts. When David escaped from an ambush that Saul was setting for him, he had to flee into the desert and Michael was given in marriage to somebody else. And for ten years, David and Michael will live separate lives and never saw each other. And sometimes distance between People can cause hearts to go hard. And this distance wasn't no fault of her own. But sometimes when we lose that intimacy with people, and especially with God, we can become hardened and become distant. You see, there's something attractive about worshippers who worship with a genuine heart. But Michael's heart was so hard, she lost focus. Next slide, please. How's your heart this morning? How's your heart this morning? Are you still soft before God? Have you become familiar 
with the things around you. See, Michael became hard. She became full of pride. She liked the fact that David was her husband and he was a king, but she didn't like the idea of him being a humble servant and worshipper of Yahweh. She said that he was foolish, empty-headed fool. She allowed her pride and she allowed her insecurities to rob her of the joy that David had. Sometimes we can criticise those around us, nitpick, find fault with the way they dress, the way they speak, the way they worship. And the only person who suffers in that process is us, is because we allow our hearts to grow hard. Do not allow the way we worship to affect your heart. Let's turn the gaze upon our own hearts and say, God, I don't want to be like Michael. I don't want to be a hard-hearted person. I want to be someone who is soft before you. Our next slide. Two to go. Sacrifice of worship. Our worship has to be authentic, but it has to be sacrificial. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2 says, Offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Sacrifice is a strange word to look at. It's a hard word to look at. But sacrifice is embedded into the heart of our worship. See, David's journey from the house of Obededom to Jerusalem, which is about a ten miles journey, started with sacrifice and ended in sacrifice. It, look, it says in verse 13, as the people took the first six steps on their journey, they sacrificed the fatted calf and the burnt offerings. It cost David to bring the ark of God into the presence of the people. And when they arrived in verse 17, David sacrificed burnt offerings and fellowship offerings before the Lord. I want you to understand this. In Leviticus there's five offerings. Sin and trespass offerings, they are mandatory. You have to do them. But the first three, the meal offering, the burnt offering and the fellowship offering were all voluntary. You didn't have to do them. They were an expression of the overflow of your heart. The burnt offering wasn't just a part of an animal that was sacrificed, it was the whole animal. It was a continual burnt sacrifice to God. In other words, nothing was a complete and total sacrifice. It was everything. And when David gave the burnt offering, he was saying, God, you can have all of me. Every single last bit of me. Not just part, not just Sunday, not just Monday, but you can have all that I am. And when we come to God this morning, we have to come determined and resolute, not just to give part, but to give everything. It's a sacrifice of worship. It costs us to give. It says in 2 Samuel 24, 24, David says, I will not give to the Lord something that costs me nothing. How much is it costing you to live for Jesus today? Is it costing you your reputation? Is it costing you your finances? Is it costing you your image before your friends? 
What cost are you paying to worship Christ? Because unless there's sacrifice, unless there's pain in the offering, it's no sacrifice. There's a wonderful quote by a man called Thomas of Akempis. He says this, Blessed is he who understands what it is to love Jesus and to despise himself for Jesus' sake. You must surrender all other loves for his love. For Jesus desires to be loved alone above all things. Love him therefore and keep him as your friend. For when all others desert you, he alone will never fail you. He'll not abandon you nor leave you. Hold fast to Jesus, both in life and in death. And trust yourself to his faithfulness. For he alone will avail to save you. Your beloved is such that he is by nature accepts no rivals, but desires to have and to hold your heart for himself alone and to reign as king upon his throne. Jesus demands everything in our lives. And that's an old book written in the 12th century. And we think the word despise is a bit strong there, but sometimes we have to let ourselves go. For his sake. And my final point this morning before we close. There was humility of worship. The highest form of worship comes from the depths of a humble heart. In verse 14 it says David was wearing a linen ephod. He had laid aside his kingly robes. He laid aside the purple robe of authority and power and took on the, the, the garment of just a mere worshipper. And Michael hated the fact that he had laid aside his clothes just to become a worshipper. Because sometimes we have to lay aside our privileges, lay aside our titles, lay aside the reputation that we have so that we can worship freely. See, in the presence of God there's no hierarchy, there's no superstars and lesser mortals, we're all the same in Christ. And we worship him. So the king of Israel, David, worships alongside the slave girls and the servants. And guess what? They love him for it. They love him for it. The thing is, he says, I'll be even more undignified than this. Some people want to build a reputation for themselves. They want to appear to be a great man or woman of God. But David says, I don't care what people say about me. I don't care what reputation they have over my life. I'm willing to lay it all aside for the sake of Christ. The Bible says in the Philippians chapter 2, your attitude should be the same as Jesus Christ, who being in very nature God, did not think equality with God something to be grasped and retained at all costs, but made himself of no reputation. David humbled himself and became just a mere worshipper amongst the crowd. And he says this, I'll be even more abased in my own eyes. You see, it's not about what people think of us, it's what people think about Jesus. Mark Ritchie, who's coming in a few weeks to the church, I heard him speak about four years ago and he said this phrase that just stuck with me, it says, we perform for an audience of one. The only person that matters when you're worshipping God is the one you're worshipping. 
The thing is, David didn't care what people think about, thought about him. He just wanted to be, uh, this overflow of worship just poured out of him. Culturally, it wasn't acceptable for man to dance. In Exodus 15, when they came across the Red Sea, the women danced. Women danced. Men pop up the bar. Okay. Men don't dance. But sometimes, when the Spirit of the Lord moves upon you so powerfully, you can't contain what He's doing inside you. The fire of God is so powerful and so bright inside you, it has to come out. And David didn't care that it was culturally unacceptable to dance. He was free. And he didn't care what people thought about him. I remember when I first got saved as a young man of 17, I went to work at an industrial engines place. I was a storeman in a place that manufactured industrial engines. I used to share my faith. And as I shared my faith with people, I used to sort of find myself hopping from one foot to the other as I talked about Jesus. And this man said to me, if it becomes Christian, we'll have to dance like that. But the thing is, when you love someone, it just comes out. You can't help it. That's just pours out of you. And David was a man who was so overcome by the presence of God. It just had to come out. And God wants to so light a fire in our hearts that nothing will stop this fire from bursting out. See, David didn't care about being small in the eyes of other people because his smallness magnified God's bigness. Saul of Tarsus, the word Saul means desired, sought after, longed for. He changed his name to Paul, which means small, little and insignificant. The greatest apostle, probably, in the first century, a man called Paul, said, it's not about me, it's about Jesus. Don't look to me, look to Jesus. Paul says, John Baptist said, he must increase and I must decrease. And Paul said, it's no longer I that live, but Christ who lives in me. In conclusion then, Psalm 131 says this, My heart is not proud, O Lord. My eyes are not haughty. I do not concern myself with great matters or things too wonderful for me. I have calmed and quieted myself. I am like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child, I am content. You know, how much of Jesus burns in your heart? How passionate are we this morning for Jesus? Are you free today? God wants to come this morning to break the shackles of guilt, to break the shackles of self-consciousness, to break the shackles of cultural expectations and the shackles of opinions of men. But are you willing this morning to pay the sacrifice when to let everything go that Christ may be seen in you? Are you willing to be humbled to let it all go so that Jesus can be seen? And do you want God to impact our lives so much that we become authentic every single step of the journey? Lord, this morning I thank you for time in your presence. Lord, don't be like that crowd that waved branches 
one day and we're shouting crucify the next. Lord, we want to be people who are consumed by a passion to love you and to serve you. Holy Spirit, would you come again into our lives and reignite us with holy fire, with a holy passion that burns oh so strongly for you. Oh God, bless us, we pray. Be near us and draw our hearts ever close to you. In Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you.